0: then you've come to the right place. There are so many exciting opportunities in this dynamic sector, and I'm looking forward to pulling back the curtain and sharing them with you. Welcome to the Commercial Property Investor podcast, the show dedicated to the private investor, and I'm your host, Jerry Alexander. We want to show you how to cross the divide from residential investing over to commercial property investing through interviews tips and lessons learned we share experiences of investing and give you the inspiration knowledge and confidence to enjoy this great cash flowing strategy so let's get started Welcome back to the CPI podcast. We have a great episode lined up for you today, if I may say so myself. It's our third installment about SAS pensions. Now, this is specific to UK legislation. So for those of you outside the UK, this may not work in your location, but you may well have something similar. So it might be worth sticking around to learn what we have over here in the UK so you know the questions to ask where you are. So what is SAS? It's a brilliant pension tool for business owners that allows you to invest in various things, including commercial property. Uh-huh. For those of you who have been listeners for some time will know we've two previous episodes about SAS with Paul Barry, including one with our mastermind group. Now, though, I've been going through this process myself and learnt more about the details of SAS rules. And I wanted to cut through the hype and ask questions to highlight some of the limitations or at least the, the parameters around SAS pensions that I don't think are discussed enough. This is more about the detail. So you may well have seen endless debate on what SAS can and can't do online, particularly around backs, security, leverage and that old chestnut residential property. I've done my best to cover all of these areas in this interview. I have to say, though, the one that will require a future episode is around investment vehicles that could potentially make residential work. However, they're not straightforward and require more detail from further specialists. I think Paul does a great job of discussing the benefits and the parameters around SAS in this episode. I hope this covers off a number of the scenarios you've wanted to ask about. So, without further ado, let's jump in. Welcome to another episode of the CPI podcast, and welcome back to Paul Barry. Hi, Jerry. How's things? Great, thanks. Super to have you back here. Paul, this is actually kind of our second podcast Q&A between you and I, but we have had a session on here with a Q&A where you came in and helped with the group and just went through a few yep. different questions. But what's changed now is you've kindly stepped up, so you want to sponsor the podcast, sure. which is fantastic. That's not why we're having this particular show, because there's, there's great value we're going to talk about today. But I just... I just want to publicly say thank you very much for sponsoring the podcast. It's, it's brilliant to have you on board.
1: Well, thank you. It's delighted to be part of it. I mean, it, it's clearly appropriate for me as a SaaS professional to be around commercial property interested, motivated people. And there's a natural fit there, so yeah, I'm, I'm really pleased to be involved. Yeah,
0: and and one of my goals with this whole thing is to build up a network of commercial investors that are all learning from each other. And having um, advisors and sector-specific professionals in this group is really something that's important to me. So it's just great to have you here. I know that loads of students have questions about SaaS. They've um, looked at SIPs and different things, and and they're they're at that stage where they need some good guidance. And we've worked together now for, I think it's about three years, Paul. And you helped set up my SaaS and quite a number of the students as well, I believe.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I mean, yeah, that's that was starting long and I think Jerry from memory, that's know, right uh, back, back in those days. <laughs> Time was a bit um, more <laughs> flexible, perhaps. Uh, yeah. So uh, I think so, you made a good point actually about sips and sas. There, just just coming to a, a slightly more technical point, maybe too soon, but yes, it's interesting because sips and sas actually both do work in the commercial property space, but for property investors, and it is probably even more important in this space that that distinction is made as to what the differences are between those two because mm-hmm. you could use either um, yeah so it's, it's for that reason it's a great thing just maybe to explore SAS in a bit more depth just to make sure people are comfortable with perfect so yeah.
0: we, we, we i've got that down for later on we will come circle back to that little distinction there and, and i wanted to kind of break this up into a couple of different parts for those that haven't heard a discussion about SaaS before and it's new to them and and for those that are abroad i appreciate this may not be relevant to you although there'll be some pension schemes where you are but for those that haven't i wanted to just go through some of the basics Mm -hmm. let's talk about the opportunities of SaaS and why it's such an exciting fit with commercial property but also i want to interrogate this a little bit more i i've spent three years learning about SaaS, learning from you learning from other people asking questions so We've agreed we're going to bash around the parameters of this so people understand some of those elements that also hold them back a little bit. There is a container around SAS; It's not a free-for-all. Yep. And so we want to just push out and touch all those boundaries so that people have a good understanding of how these things work. And, and most importantly, when they get started, they have to understand where the long-term objective is and what the, the – not the limitations, but what the things are that can guide them on that way so they make sure they don't make mistakes early
1: on. Yeah,
0: Absolutely. So, let, so let's start with the basics, right? What is SAS?
1: What does it actually stand for? Uh, don't know. <laughs> 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 well, first things first, it's the abbreviation is SSAS. Yeah. And all of people get that wrong, and, and, yeah. and you know, that's understandable to some extent. And so it stands for Small Self-Administered Scheme. And to break that into its kind of part, so small really means it's for SME, business owners, people like you and I, and self-administered means it's a pension that you are fully in control of, sorry, and scheme is really just means it's a pension. So it's a pension scheme specifically designed for UK business owners. Fantastic. And
0: we'll circle back to that, but there's a key distinction there. This is for business owners. This is not necessary for employees, but we'll circle back to that later on. And with the SAS and SIP you mentioned, let's just quickly touch on that distinction. Because I would imagine there's at least the same number of people with SIPs. It may even be the more popular version of, in, of investing on a on, on your own pension, as it were. Yep. But what just let's just touch on the distinctions there, Paul.
1: So in I do know numbers, I actually did a bit of research on this recently. So I'm very glad you asked this. Nice. So, so there are approximately one million SIPs in the UK, uh, which nice. I, should, I thought would be more than that, to be fair, but there are a million genuine SIPs in the UK. And there are 22,000 SASEs wow. in the UK. Um, now, go. in the context, though, of an SME market with 5.5 million business owners, SAS hasn't even made over half a percent yeah. uh, of, of um, interrogation in that market, which obviously is 20% of the market, give or take. Um, now, both do very different things are for different users and for different purposes, but that tells you a little bit about the, the structure nature of it. Bear in mind, however, though, that, that a SaaS can have up to 11 people in one arrangement. and um, So th- there'll be more than 23,000 people use them. Sure,
0: very good point. Not
1: 23,000 yeah. as, as kind of containers, if you like, that exist.
0: SaaS and SIP is not just for holding commercial property. This is the commercial property podcast. It's a yeah. great tool for using in commercial property, but actually you can invest in other assets too. But the trustee, the company you work with, Mm-hmm. Um, that can kind I of hold your hand through this process and you can maybe tell me their exact titles? But mm-hmm. but those organizations within a SIP have certain criteria, yep. And with a the SAS, there's maybe a little bit broader criteria,
1: yeah. Um, yeah, so maybe it, need
0: to just touch on what those two different things are,
1: and most definitely. So, the, the fundamental difference is that a SIP uh, is a personal pension, that's what the PP part of SIP actually is, uh, which means that a SIP is governed by the Financial Conduct Authority, and essentially retail consumer-based rules and regulations, where a SAS is an occupational pension scheme type, which means it's designed specifically for businesses and business owners, and is not regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority. It is regulated by the pension regulator, but that means that the rules and regulations around it are different and are indeed more flexible. And and that all stems from the fact that when SAS was first created and, and developed, that it was designed for business owners, recognising that they have the ability to make decisions and take decisions every day of their life that affect their livelihoods. So why wouldn't that be the same in a pension environment? So a SIP is a personal pension and is governed by personal pension rules, which means it is overseen and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority, the FCA, and that provides rules for for consumers and personal users of of pension. Whereas SAS is an occupational pension scheme It is regulated, but it's not regulated by the FCA, which means that the rules are more flexible. And that's simply because SAS was designed for business owners in recognition of the fact that they do take and make decisions every day of their life that takes a livelihood. So therefore, why wouldn't they do the same thing in a pension environment? So it basically gives more latitude to a holder or investor in a SaaS compared to
0: a SIP. Yeah, and with that freedom comes a little bit of cost, i.e. there's more risk. But there's somebody there guiding you as to, certainly not necessarily on, on the, the performance of investments, but how they fit in with HMRC's rulings over how a SAS can, what it can and can't hold.
1: Yeah, so I mean, generally, I guess I'm, I'm minded just to say that I'm not a, a financial advisor in the context of comparing one to another, but a SIP in general terms is provided by an investment provider such as an Avila, a Standard Life, an AG Bell, and many, many others. Uh, but their kind of purpose is to provide a vessel for you to put money into that, to generally invest within their own range of funds, but potentially also in your choice of, uh, of a commercial property, for example. That pretty much is the kind of choice that you have. It's one or other or both. It's not, not really anything else outside of that, but a SaaS is completely different unless you invest in anything is allowable. The, the the regulated bit, the trustee part there, and um, both a SIP and a SAS have that function, but a, a SAS lets you decide what you invest in as opposed to choosing a prescribed list. Uh, and the flexibility of SAS is just far greater.
0: Yeah. Okay. So let's dive into SAS a little bit more. You mentioned there that it's not just a single person. There, yep. there's they, We can have up to 11 individuals in, in the fund, as it were.
1: Yep. Yeah. Yeah, so that basically because SAS is a group structure, um, the, the HMRC definition, which always amuses me, no matter how many things I see, the HMRC's definition of the limit people in the SAS is less than twelve, which is surely eleven or less. But I don't know what <laughs> <of> that. It's um, <laughs> just half people or something. I don't know, I don't know yeah. what they're thinking. Um, so yeah, it's a group structure, which means that people can bring their own wealth and value together and pool that together as an a pool of wealth to invest jointly in a far greater scope of product potentially. I should say though, just generally, generally I very rarely see sasses with more than ever more than five or six people and generally they are two or three. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Okay. That's good. That's good um, to know.
0: Right. Okay. So we'll, we'll carry on this track a little bit because I'm, I'm tempted to ask more detailed questions about that, but we'll, we'll come back to them. So just in terms of the generalities of a SAS, Mm-hmm. We're talking about um, up to 11 people, although often it's it's, it's far less. Mm-hmm. Um, you can invest in a range of different assets, but actually, what is the point of doing this through a SaaS? This is there's there's some tax benefits here that we haven't really touched on. So, if you if you've got your own company, you've made some profit. Let's just 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 start the story there.
1: Okay, so um, both a SIP and a SaaS have this ability. So, if you have made a profit of up to forty thousand pounds a year, you're able to contribute that value. To, to any pension really. So it could be a personal pension or a SIP or indeed a SAS. And then doing that from a business or a company that is essentially a deduction against your taxable profits. So it's an expense so it's allowable. Which means you won't pay corporation tax on that value you put into a pension. All of those pensions are the same irrespective of you know, where it's come from where you put it to. The difference with a SAS is that the level of contribution you can make is far higher at up to £500,000 per annum which clearly is greater than the value of a personal pension at £40,000 per annum. But that means, of course, you have the scope to put anything you want to up to that level. So if you're making a profit over and above forty grand a year, then clearly you want to know about the flexibility of, of, of how a SAS can work and how that can work for you. Because saving that level of corporation tax, which, of course, at, at that high level will be up to 25%, yep. is significant. Now, I should say, just as a... Um, a, a nod to HMRC and anyone listening who has a view on that that a SAS is not designed as a, a, a tax mitigation tool, but by its design, that is what it can do. So it's, it is designed as a pension structure, as a retirement saving scheme, as a, a benefit structure, the whole bunch of flexibility and latitude, but the tax saving part isn't the purpose for it but it is a very much a big part of its, of its nature that lets you do that.
0: Sure, which- yeah, and yeah, we have to be mindful of the fact that we are un- un- unashamedly talking about commercial property here yes. and and how you can use the SaaS for that. Yeah. But you know, there is there is a wider context there about what other things you can invest in. But at the end of the day, we're here to talk about SaaS. And as you say, we're not in finance advisors either. So yeah, I'll put the small print in there too. <laughs> um, so in terms of the money going in, that's fine. We yeah. can do up to our allowance, which we'll talk about later on. But once that money's in there. Mm-hmm. and we think about deploying it. We What can, what kind of assets can we buy? And and maybe for property investors that are listening, what can't we buy?
1: Okay, so um, fundamentally, and absolutely, as you say, in, in terms of the topic we're talking about, commercial property or indeed land is very much a, a, a given that SAS is able to acquire and invest in that. And that, that's very much, I guess, plain vanilla in terms of SAS because it's, it's routine, it's HMRC, are very comfortable with that. There's no issue of that whatsoever. As long as it is a genuine commercial as opposed to something that is on the borderline, the grey areas and there are a few grey areas that I can talk about in a second. But let's say it's a retail premises, an office, a warehouse, a factory unit, whatever it may be, then that is, you know, every day and all day long commercial property, a SaaS can purchase that and own it in a tax-free environment inside of the SaaS. And also, importantly, in an environment that's outside of your company. So there is no commercial risk from the company to your pension structure, and it keeps those two values very separate and, and protected from each other. Yeah, okay. So, first property is absolutely fine. Um, a SAS, uh, or, I should say, no pension at all can invest directly into residential property. And I know that's not the purpose of the chat, but it's when People will have a, mi- a portfolio mix, I guess, of commercial and resi, but a SAS is no different to any other pension in that it cannot directly own resi property, uh, and there are huge tax consequences. If you do that, you won't be allowed to do it if you have a trustee working with your administrator. But if you didn't, you can mistake and bought something. then the tax penalties are horrific. So you're never, you're never going to want to do that. Yeah. There yeah. are and things that, sorry.
0: I was going to say there are discussions and, and various opinions around the market of the interpretation of what is directly held and what isn't. Yeah. Um, but for the purpose of this conversation, yeah, commercial property in, residential directly out.
1: Right, yeah, absolutely. So maybe coming back to a couple of distinctions on that, so I get asked this question pretty much every day of the week about resi property or HMOs, uh, no matter how many times you tell me it's rateable classification or it's planning classification, it's commercial, that's nice and I agree with you, the HMRC do not see it that way. and um, So they will see uh, a service apartment as a, a house because actually that is what it actually is. If you looking at it by its basis, you may not function it that way. Or you may rent it on a short term basis as you will, but you could live in it. And because yeah. you could live in it, then it's not as taxable, and you you can't buy it in a pension structure. However, and this is a bit bizarre, if that was an apart hotel, yep, with a reception function, that was a you know, an iPad at the front door, then that probably is allowable. I'm saying probably because that's at the actual discretion of the administrator or trustee whether they believe that or not What HMRC do, but there's a distinction there because it's technically a hotel not, and not a... Yes,
0: the planning permission is different.
1: It's a different, yeah. Classification, yeah. A B&B all day longs commercial, hotel all-day-longest commercial and there are some other curiosities like it's possible to buy a residential property and operate that as a care facility, 24-7 care facility for adults or kids or whichever, but it that is allowable, um, just as, and this is where we'll recognize this, you know, if, if anyone has ever bought commercial in any major city in the UK, and think of Edinburgh, Glasgow, Dundee as well, if you buy a property as an office space, it probably was a resident property at some point, yeah. or it may even be connected to the ones that still are. So that is allowable because it's an office, but for all properties, purposes, you can own that for a period of time and then convert it back to a residential seller, you know, out, out of the sass and make a problem that way. There's loads of ways. There's, there's nuances.
0: That, yeah. Exactly, yeah. So, yeah, you could uh, make a planning gain. You, you get it changed, the planning use change, but you don't actually act upon it and you sell it on and it's still, Correct. yeah, so it's still worse, yeah. yeah. So, we're not here to pick in between all those different gaps. There are some, grey is not the right word, but there are some nuances there that, yeah. that people should explore um, if they're looking at properties, but, in, in general principles, whatever the planning classification is going to determine whether really it's going to sit inside the SAS or not. Certainly at the start,
1: yeah, I mean, it, it'll it'll drive it more closely to determining what it is. Um, but sometimes it doesn't um, and it, because that the sales condition, for example, is is that kind of a, a nuance in there because it may be commercially classified, but HMRC don't recognise that. Yeah, okay. So we've
0: we've put our money in there. We've bought a commercial property. Um, And we can do it with a couple of ways, and we'll maybe just talk about that in a second. But basically, any income from that property Mm -hmm. comes back into the SaaS, it's tax-free, goes into the pot, can either just continue um, sitting in there as cash, or can buy shares, or whatever it is you want to do with it, or buy another commercial property. But effectively, the income coming back in is tax-free. And that's where you've maybe structured buying the property in your SaaS, Mm-hmm. Now, there is a possibility, of course, of buying your property outside of the SAS mm-hmm. using the SAS money. So maybe we should just talk briefly about loan backs and that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, and just coming up one point, though, about the, owning the commercial property in your SAS. So if you, you're absolutely right. So if you own the commercial property inside the SAS, all the rental income and capital gain and any other profits from that um, operation will be received and, and received tax free by the SAS. But just a point of note, you can have your own business occupy those premises and pay a lease to yourself. Yep. So you can become yep. your own landlord and have that control. For some people, they much prefer that lesser risk basis of having full control of all that process, albeit in a very, very tax-efficient structure.
0: Yeah, so they're basically rather investing in the property, in the company,
1: in a trading business, which is always at
0: risk of something yep. happening. Yep. They pull it out, ring-fence it, put a rent into it. Yeah, yeah, great structure yep. to have. So they, you know, they could
1: just continue that same thinking. They could also use a SaaS to buy the property from themselves out of their trading company uh, and kind of release value back to the company yeah. from SaaS. But all they've done is cash for a commercial asset. Um okay. quite probably doing it because it does that same protection but uh but it gives you full control. Right. So let's let's talk about loan back. Yeah. Which is what you asked me about. Sorry about that. Right.
0: No, 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 no. We're, we're, yeah. we're, we're weaving our way through all this. Pomp. Um we're, <laughs> we're going to come on to, to some of those other parameters later. But let's just talk about loan back here. Yeah. So you've got you've got some money in your pension. Um, there's a little interesting maneuver you can do.
1: Yeah. So unlike <clears throat> excuse me, unlike any other UK pension, SAS offers the scope, and choice if you want to to borrow up to half of the value of the pension scheme back from the SAS and lend it into your own business. So it's called a loan back. Now, it's limited to 50% of the value, basically because HMRC, um, I suppose, are are also human beings and understand that if we borrow all the money, there's a very good chance that we will perhaps not do a great job of managing that money and lose it all, and then we've lost our pension in the process of losing our business, which isn't really a great idea. So there's a bit of natural protection in there. And whilst that can seem a little bit uh, restrictive in some contexts, it is there for good reason. It's restrictive... Having said that, though, when no other pension allows you to borrow from it, then it's not restrictive at all because it, it gives you the scope you never had before. Um, now that the, the purpose of that really is to kind of interconnect your whole wealth strata by allowing you to take control of your pension and your business in the same manoeuvre. So in, in lending money from the SAS to your company, you will be generating a return for your SAS because you have to pay interest on that loan. And it is a loan. And you do have to pay it back. But the simple purpose of the loan would be to, in some way or other, enhance the value of your business. So we're taking a very simple example, but let's just say I run, a, I don't know, a, a hardware store. I don't think I've ever seen one of those for 40 years. But if I did run a hardware store, and I went to, I don't know, um, refurbish it, restock it, have a marketing campaign, buy a van buy more stock and take on more staff, then I can borrow money from my own pension structure to, to allow me to do that. And that's, again, very straightforward, very natural that you do that and you seek to, go, to grow the business. There are parameters around that loan, and, and the key one, as I mentioned, already, is you must pay interest on it, and that must be at least 1% over base rate until about last um, autumn, that was about much so like nothing, but now it's not going to be about 5% or thereabouts. Um, so that's fine, that's a loan you pay back if you pay interest. The next thing you must have in place, or understand, is the loan cannot be extended for more than a five-year period, so that's a limitation, A limit. it's a, a factor to be in mind, and you must repay the loan on a capital and interest repayment basis over that maximum term. So you're going to have 20% capital repayment every year if you do it that way. There are other ways to do it, give you more flexibility, but I don't want to get too much into the depths of that at the minute. So, the, the, the five-year period really gives you a, a term loan that you rate pay down a, a short-term mortgage, if you like, and the the short-term loan could give you almost a rolling, revolving credit facility if it's yep. structured. Like that, that's why there's, there's detail without going to get too far into And the final thing the loan must have, sorry, is a security granted to protect the SAS in the event that the, the loan is not repaid. And that security absolutely cannot be on taxable property. And taxable property is generally seen or regarded by HMRC as residential property. And you could secure it on a commercial property if it's outside of the SAS, you can secure it on land or a business or the shares of a business, but it cannot be on something um, that's deemed to be taxable, like uh, a, a car or a property, residential property or something like that. Okay. Uh, and and the final conditional owners that it must be documented, but that's what your SAS. Administrative would do for is a matter of course, anyway. Right. So I I knew we'd get to the
0: stage where we we, we start we start diving into detail because yeah. it's so difficult to separate these things out. Yeah. And and I want to come back to the loan back thing mm-hmm. um in a second. But I think this is this is we've already gone there. But this is the start of the process. Where now let's just start talking about some of those limitations. We've spoken about some of the benefits, and there are some amazing benefits for. Business owners and particularly those that are interested in commercial, some real no-brainers. But let's now just talk about the parameters. And yeah. and you 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 started alluding there when you're doing a loan back to your own company, there's certain yeah. restrictions. So um, yeah. the loan back can only be fifty percent of the maximum value of yeah. the fund. So just just to give an example there, if your fund is worth two hundred thousand mm-hmm. and a hundred thousand is invested in something else, yeah. then actually you could lend a hundred thousand to buy a property worth a hundred thousand. So you could lend a hundred percent of the value of the property because the value of the property is only 50% of your total um, SAS pot. And I I think, and I'm guilty of this too, thinking about, well, I'm starting out on SAS. um, I'm looking at a commercial building, so I can only lend 50%. So my other 50, let's say I'm buying a building for hundred thousand pounds. My other 50,000 pounds is just going to sit in there, or I can only buy 50,000 pounds worth of building, whatever it is. But actually, when you when you start building up your SAS and you're you're not exclusively buying commercial it's the whole fund that they're talking about right. so you could do hundred percent loan yeah. yeah
1: absolutely um
0: but on the the five-year thing that's an interesting part just if you're doing uh, if you're buying the property outside of the SAS yeah um, then yeah you're supposed to only lend the money for five years get it f- fully repaired in that period on a capital and interest not just interest then a capital at the end yeah and you need to get this security, <laughs> yeah. which could be over the building, of course, but security. And I think some people forget about that element, especially if they're doing a loan back to do maybe something else, buying assets or whatever it is. You, yeah. That's where maybe some people come across. So, uh, Paul, you've probably got some examples of people that have come gone through this process and then realize, oh, hold on a minute, I can't secure this against a resi property yep. or it's difficult to do so. Um, yeah. How am I going to get around this?
1: Yeah, so the the... the the security bit is always, it's the pinnacle of anything that is the issue of SAS. Um, it, it's the only thing that really is. But of course, let's not forget, it's an issue because you've been given a greater latitude to do something. But because of that, there's there are parameters you see that, that need to be met to, to get to that flexibility. So it's not just a free-for-all, which is clearly right and, and appropriate that it is properly governed and regulated, but that restriction exists. And, and the reason it exists is protect your SaaS from paying a massive tax charge yeah, or indeed from losing all the money yeah. um, by making a, a bad decision. Um, so, the security bit is important. Um, there are I see ways around this, actually, I'm looking to say that there are solutions that exist there that are not sourced in a residential property uh, asset because it, it just cannot be used. So, a company is generally speaking the most logical asset that a SaaS would use to secure. Uh, it, it's loan because the SaaS has loaned the money to that company. So it's kind of logical to take a security over it. And that's generally with a charge over the shares of the company. Yeah. Which is quite okay. straightforward.
0: Sure. And loan back isn't just, let's just touch on this, it's not just for you to your own company. You can lend some of your SaaS money to others or other companies. Yeah. Um, so, and and interestingly, you don't necessarily need a security for that. Not that we would advise such a thing, but
1: indeed. so that, that that process is actually so there, there are two types of loan. As me, the first one is, is a loan, as I just mentioned. The second one, while similar, um, is called a third party or unconnected loan. Just trips off the tongue that one, yeah. uh, but the name tells you what it is. So it, it allows you to lend the money to a business that you are not in control of yeah. or connected to uh, and the point of that which is different it gives more flexibility because if you're not controlled but you can't access that money so therefore the risk as hmrc would see it is lessened or the risk of you being involved in it's lessened because you're not actually involved in it and um, so that as far as hmrc are concerned is no different to you investing money with aviva or standard life or anyone else because you've just given them the control of that money um, and yeah. so security It's not an HMRC requirement that you have a security on it because you don't actually have to, but logic would tell you that you're going to won't have a security on it because it's no different to me borrowing 50 quid from you and you just winking at me saying, don't worry, you'll get it back. Well, I'm sure you mean it, but... I'd like some means That's, of. That reminds out.
0: me. <laughs> <laughs> Deep, that was two hundred quid. It, it, yeah, it's now two hundred <laughs> quid. I oh, lent it <laughs> you last Friday. Paul. <laughs> <Deep. laughs> but interestingly, though, on that there is there's not that um, restriction on fifty percent. So you right. could effectively, if you could effectively become a bank for four or five different organisations. Yeah. Um, and lend all of your money out should you yeah. desire. It, there's not a restriction on that. The, the key thing is it's not controlled. There's not a controlled element of it by yourself in that whichever business you're lending right.
1: I mean the, the flexibility is far greater and because it is really just an investment. It is called a loan. It is a loan that is repayable and you you, you would take and wish security upon it, and it will have a term and an interest rate and you know, a, 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 a shown and detailed return on it. But it's a different structure, so it isn't limited to five years. It isn't limited to fifty percent. It technically doesn't have to have security, but you definitely want it. And and the interest rate doesn't have that minimum one percent thing. So it's 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 much more of a commercial structure and arrangement between you and that borrower. I do this with my SaaS, and, and it, it it's productive for me because well, I'm essentially an armchair investor with the SaaS, but it allows me to help other people who are growing their business by loaning money. Essentially, the kind of the investor part, not the you know the kind of um, uh, main funding. It's just the, the, the end part of that whole strata funding. Someone's going to want to buying buy an asset, a million quid and they need hundred grand for the, the 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 equity part. Essentially, yeah, and, you know, I can or other South investors can lend that, but and you can charge more for it because and I'm blamed of all the costs that they're paying. If you charge fifteen or twelve percent, it's neither here nor there in the grand scheme of things for. Uh, yeah, because got,
0: it's proportionally a, a smaller element of what they're borrowing, yeah, correct.
1: But they need it because they won't get any of it without the last piece in the jigsaw, which is potentially this from you know an a SaaS is able to do that. So I find that massively rewarding from, from a SaaS. It's a known short shift. I've got security. I've got a fixed return. I've got a fixed period, and I'm helping people that that I know. Now they could be developing whatever they want. That's typically going to be a refurb of a commercial or, 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 or you know maybe a building on a piece of land or whatever that is, but. It doesn't really matter. The, the loan is related to the SA, my SAS and their company. And it isn't massively with the project that it's got underlying it.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. And, and in the, not just commercial, but in, in the property circles in general, there is much more of a groundswell now about peer-to-peer lending and mm. not just peer-to-peer platforms but also there are more introducers now working with high net with individuals and but at the end of the day you know there's got to be trust there's got to be securities all those things there but it is becoming a bit more um not mainstream but it's just more acceptable that, that think, people are doing it more certainly as i'm growing older maybe i'm just exposed to more of it and seeing more of it happening maybe it's always been there but it's I, think, I think i think it's absolutely
1: no you're right jared i think the more and more people have become more aware of their own management of their own wealth and have therefore become more inclined to do more creative things with that creative and a positive way, I don't mean you know doddgely creative yes and and that the peer-to-peer crowdfunding structure and construct kind of is a great thing to be able to, to build access and there is definitely more of it yeah. and, you know and that's that to me is a, a great thing sure uh, because it does open up I should also say just whilst touching upon that and I'll say not much on this but um SAS is able to be involved in structures that do allow crowdfunding but what a SaaS cannot do uh, and people ask me this particularly in this space of of a, a third party loan is you cannot lend to someone and then ask them to lend you back
0: ah yeah okay uh,
1: just caveat on that uh, each you do not like that it's well, technically illegal but it's called uh, a body transaction and that is not people always ask me, "What well, if there's a third person involved, and all that means is you can try even harder to break the law. Yeah. So <laughs> another not, person involved, yeah. Indeed, yeah, so it's not like a great idea, but um say
0: break the law is it, breaking the rules, really, it's not. Yes, it's not, yeah. It just means you're then basically paying a penalty in tax. Right. considerable. Yep. Yeah. Okay, so, and, and in fact, let's just quickly touch on that. Let's hmm. say you do inadvertently end up with a residential property. What yep. what's, the, what's the penalties?
1: Um, you're going to want to be in a darkened room for a couple of weeks, probably, and uh, calm down after this. So uh, if you had done that, and I suppose you could have inadvertently bought a plot that you thought was a piece of land that had been previously a, a resi property, HMRC could consider that still to be resi, even if it was on yeah. which seems a bit mad, but you know, the rules some things can be. Um, if you had bought that in and done it that way, then HMRC can impose a minimum tax charge of 55% of the asset value uh, and they'll expect the SAS to pay that immediately. If you don't, and if you start messing about with it, that charge can go up to 75% and beyond. Wow. Now, I've never, thought rude, I'm, I'm not even going to say that, but I've no, I've no experience of that, uh, because, generally speaking, you'd be very unlucky to mistakenly do it. Some people may intend to do it and you know, mm-hmm. think they've taken a chance, but that, quite frankly, is, is nonsense, because it's just bloody stupid. Um, but you don't need to do that because there are other ways of using the SaaS efficiently in both Resi and Commercial if you choose to do it. So that and would I, and do I do
0: think it. it's worth pointing out now that SaaS is getting exposed more, I think, mm. to a wider audience. And there are, there's not, you, you don't go to HMRC for every transaction and every single thing you do to check, is this okay, is this okay, is this okay? Mm-hmm. So there is inevitably going to be some people pushing the envelope a little bit. Indeed. And as it becomes more and more popular and more and more exposure, mm-hmm. the more chances are that someone somewhere is going to be picked on and they, they not picked on. There are going to be some issues cleaned up by HMRC. So right. I think it's really important to set out the right stall at the right at the start, because at some point there probably will be a little bit more um not investigation, a little bit more pen, uh, attention paid to SaaS pensions. And you yeah. just need to make sure that you are being um absolutely um advised right and focusing on the right things, even if you know it means sometimes you've got to do a deal in a different way.
1: Yeah, I mean you're absolutely right. And I, I know, and I've been doing SAS in many years, but now particularly you mentioned things like crowdfunding and peer-to-peer coming more obvious. SaaS is becoming more visible way more than it ever was before. And that, that can be a good thing and a bad thing. but think about it negatively for the minute. There are people online and in chat groups and all sorts of platforms that are talking all sorts of things about all sorts of nonsense. As as you would find the same if you're looking up, you know, how do I do something with my company and how do I manage this how do I do that? There'll be you know 150 hundreds of ways of people's opinions on that. Uh, and you know, they might be right, you might be wrong, but they're not all right, can't all be right uh, in all circumstances, and that's something to be in mind. So this as SaaS becomes more visible, there's more information about it that's probably less credible, yeah, as, as for anything. I, I actually called my my car this morning and I Googled it and I, <laughs> which I never bothered. But it's <laughs> 70 grand worth of expense uh, and it's probably a fuse, you know, it's something ridiculous, but it's just you know, you more you dig into these forums, you think I don't believe believe it. It's just, it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and the problem just almost in yeah. Yeah.
0: control so just just yeah pay attention it it's a fantastic tool but just be aware that it's not something you do overnight and apart from the fact it takes a while to set up yeah. but and we, we won't go there but it just takes a bit of time to set up yeah um it's not something you can just buy into that it, and and then um do nothing with what you could do but it's not easy to extract yourself albeit not impossible but, you know, this is something longer term, just as commercial property is, you need to be looking at it from, um, uh, 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 not insurance, but just making sure it's done right, because this is your, you know, this is an important part of your your wealth
1: plan. Yeah, yeah so, that's, that's exactly it. So the, the, the SAS gives people more latitude than they ever had before, before they knew about it. But that does deserve the respect that that latitude brings, and it does require to be controlled and, and overseen and governed. And there are processes and, and people in that, uh, in that structure that do that for you, um, and there's, and it's like almost, you know, having this discussion with your accountant and hating what telling you, or she's telling you. But if if you need to pay tax, you need to pay the tax, and that's what it is. Unless it's blatantly wrong, there's something wrong, you know, not right with that. But, um, so it's a great tool that needs to be respected, needs to be functioning the right yeah. way. Okay,
0: right. So we're going to swing back around to a few things we discussed at the start. I want to talk yeah. about um, individuals. I want to talk about lifetime allowances, those sorts of parameters. So. One of the things that I probably picked up wrong when I first started looking at SAS was that, right, we can have up to 11 people in here. So maybe I could have the other members of the family involved, for instance, mm. the kids or whatever, at, at mm. the age they're able to, which maybe, we'll, well, what is the age they're able to, Paul? Let's 18. just quickly cover that off, 18.
1: 18.
0: Yeah. Um Each individual who puts their money into the SAS actually has their own allocation. It's not like Joan puts in £5,000 and Henry puts in... £300,000, and they each share half of it. That's not no. quite how it works. No, the absolutely. pot, and and Paul, forgive me, because I'm, I'm, we had a few discussions recently at one of our member events, and, and this kind of was educating me a little bit more about this. So the pot itself could invest in whatever you decide to buy or do jointly, mm-hmm. but your allocation within that stays as your percentage, your kind of performer amount. So if so and so is putting 5000 pounds and the other person's put in 95000 pounds, then we know there's a five percent allocation of profit, 95% yep. allocation of profit too. That is that a fair yep, um, point?
1: Fine, yeah absolutely spot on.
0: Okay. So the, the one thing that changes though, and we didn't talk about inheritance on this and and as a as a benefit but we'll we'll do that right now. One one of the things that changes that is when somebody does pass on and let's say Henry does with his 95%, he can, within his will, I feel like I'm advising here, right? I'm not, I'm not advising, <laughs> I'm just chatting about it. And it's possible for him, in his will, to allocate that to whoever he wants within the SAS, correct?
1: Yeah,
0: correct. So it could be that he bypasses Mary or whoever, whoever it was I said and gives it to Peter. Yeah. And now Peter has um, £95,000 worth of SAS pot. And that's yeah. done tax-free, right? Yeah, that's, there's no inheritance yeah. tax allocated yeah. there.
1: Yeah, so I mean, the, the, the simplicity of that Jerry is the money hasn't gone anywhere. It's just been reallocated within the same pot. So it hasn't exited the SAS, hasn't left that tax-free environment, hasn't gone anywhere else. It's, it's just moved from the internal ownership of one to another. And because of that, two key things there that, there is no inheritance tax in that environment because of tax-free structure. And there is no delay, there's no probate or confirmation process to go through to get that money from that ownership to know because the ownership actually hasn't really changed it's in the same trust structure with a different beneficiary inside of it yeah
0: so if you're listening to this if you haven't looked at sas for you haven't started this process just think about that rather than buying an annuity when you get to that age at whatever cost and whatever return you get for however long you last when things come to an end that annuity effectively is gone Um, Now, there may be husband, wife and that sort of thing. But basically, it's not something that can go on to children. But under this structure, if you do it right, and you've got enough, the right planning, it's possible to actually enjoy the cash flow from your pot, but equally leave the pot intact when you pass on
1: yeah and that's a massive point actually and it's it, again it's it's kind of by default of the structure but some people actually do create a, a sas for that very reason because ultimately what sas is creating is an enduring family trust because it is a trust structure if it's family or within it then the wealth will cascade intergenerationally there's a great expression intergenerational wealth transfer from one to the other immediately without tax and and that that is what trust should do if you set up, a, you could set up a family trust outside of the SAS, but it won't be tax-free and would have that flexibility and it will probably be much more expensive to do that. So the SAS actually does that just because that's what structure allows. Yeah. Um, you could just, in, in, well, interestingly, as a point of note, you could have a beneficiary appointed in the event of death as well. It could be a child, for example, who is either under 18 or who is not a member of the, the SAS at all, but they can be allocated or nominated to beneficiary in the event of death and then cascade the wealth to them at that point. But more specialist, but there's yeah. It's good to understand.
0: Okay. I, I want to come back in a few minutes to the fact that a SaaS is generally as a pension is there to provide you an income after 55, but there's there's a little there's a little quirk there that we're going to talk about, about maybe Mm. earning some money from your pot now rather than when you get to that stage, but we'll come back to that. Mm. I just wanted to cover off the lifetime allowance. And I know that's not just pertinent to SAS, but in the UK, the lifetime allowance is a million pounds. So that just leads me to ask a couple of questions. One, Mm. if um, Peter does leave somebody 5,500,000 and they've already got 600,000 Neither pot's worth 1.1 million. What's the ramifications? What, what happens when you go beyond that stage? And of course, if you're a good investor, you would hope that you would start having that problem at some point.
1: Yeah, so the lifetime allowance is how much you have put into it and mm-hmm. um, it's actually grown to. So there's a slight distinction. Interesting, on, yeah. On that. Um, and also, there are multiple, potentially multiple members within the same SAS that allow you to soak up more of that allowance. And you have to allocate the money before the arms. So you can't Indeed. just pass yes. it too much. I'll give it to um, A, B or C, uh, but you can do that. I'm going to make a bit of an admission here, Jerry. The lifetime allowance is a specialist part of the trustees structure in the SAS. And at first, I have a general knowledge of it. I'm um, yep. way to be too specific on it because there's a whole bunch of technicalities in there that I could make a bit of a... That's,
0: that's uh, very good of you to say that. Okay, so basically, our lifetime allowance of money to go in is a million pounds.
1: A million and 73,000 because that is an obvious amount, isn't it? <laughs> of uh, course, why that got to that level, I've never quite understood. And um, so, but yeah, and there are people have had historical ways of protecting that up to one and a half, one and a quarter million pounds. And I say you can reallocate, reallocate, you can reallocate new contributions to try and minimize it. And there are some really specialist ways that you can actually turn the SAS into a final salary SAS and try and in- increase your lives. Yeah, let's, let's,
0: let's not go there. Let's not go there. But no.
1: what you're saying,
0: um, is that if you've Put in one million and seventy three thousand. Being a super successful investor, now it's worth five million. Um, yeah. That's not necessarily going to um, crystallise any tax situation because it's grown within the SAS.
1: Yeah. So that that, that again, there's a bunch of reasons why that can be crystallised. So it, it, the way that's the way it's assessed in tax is upon I think of a benefit crystallisation event, another of these lovely HMRC okay. expressions, which basically means you've either um, died or retired or retired hasn't drawn benefits and it depends what age you are when you do that Um and there's a whole matrix of ways and means that that can be affected or not in fact inheritance if you'd received that wouldn't have any impact on it either so there's, there's a whole variety of ways that our mind did not take too specific on it because right, okay
0: I've opened the can of worms
1: let's just quickly push that lid
0: back back on there right yeah <laughs> <laughs> we'll come back to that
1: <laughs> yeah. but again the point I'm saying really there is is I work with technicians who do have that support yes. FTA, who support me and my clients in that space. It's very unusual, it being truthful, that clients ever have a problem with that because you generally have a problem with that if you've got a huge amount of value already in another structure and you bring it into the SaaS because there are ways and means of managing it in the SaaS before you get there. And so the reason I'm saying I don't have much experience or knowledge of it because I never really deal with it But it very rarely ever happens. Well, I, and it, it's
0: been a little bit remiss of us not actually to fully introduce what you do, but let's come back to that at the end, right? Mm. Um, so continuing on that vein, um, we, we've put, put our allocation in or whatever amount we've put into our into our pension. And and particularly if you're younger or somebody's maybe left you some within the SAS, you, you can actually start to make that work now. And if we just take the example yeah. of you having a traditional business, let's say it's a garage, and you um, make tidy profit each year. You've been t- diligently putting it into your SaaS. You've maybe even um, bought your garage within the SaaS, and you're renting it to your company, and the company's paying in money. But now there's a bit of residual in there. Mm-hmm. The, the, the thing is, you know, there's this money sitting there, and, and certainly when I used to look at pensions when I was younger, I'd be like, well, I can't touch it until I'm 55. Yeah, which is correct. Yeah. However, yep. if that business decided to buy another garage, mm-hmm. as an example. Um, it could do it with the SaaS funds, as we've just described, yeah. and it could generate a trading business and a trading profit right now. So that's yeah. a simple way of looking at it. Yeah. But in terms of commercial property, there is there is the ability for you to invest in the model that I really like, the CMO model, where, effectively mm-hmm. you buy a commercial property, rent it to your operating business at the market rate or whatever you decide, yeah. and then that arbitrage by splitting it into multiple units adding more services and effectively creating a trading business, which rents out that space to clients at a higher rate. That differential there is a profit that's made outside of the SaaS. Yep, absolutely. So you've invested in commercial property. You're putting um, profit back into your SaaS. That's all working really nice. You've kind of been your own bank, but you've created a trading element, which is giving you income now.
1: Yeah. And and the, of, there's loads of kind of cool things about that, but the fact is the SaaS has facilitated the, the funding and the purchase of the asset, and all it is interested in, if you think of it as a pure investment, is a means of securing a return on that on that investment, which would typically be a lease to a business. Yes. So your business, absolutely, I'm not telling you because you do this <laughs> every day of the week, but it, so your business takes a head lease on that asset and then sublets it. Yeah. And whatever that may be, that is a trading activity of owning or, or leasing the premises and then subletting it. That's absolutely allowable because all this, the only caveat put on that is that the original head lease must be commercially viable and commercially valued at the point you make it. And that's that's, that's okay. a really good point.
0: So if you were if you were buying a um, garage, not the right example. If you're buying a industrial building, yeah. and if you rent it out to one company, you might expect a market yield of maybe ten percent. So yeah. actually, you buy it for a hundred thousand, you earn you 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 would expect ten thousand pounds worth of income. That's what goes back to the SaaS. Yeah. However if you've rented it to your your own trading business and the trading business splits it up into 10 units, uh, maybe Mm -hmm. 100,000 is not the right number, but you split it up into 10 units, because of the value you've added to those new tenants in those 10 units, um, you've maybe got some communal space, which means the sharing costs, you've maybe upgraded the facilities, whatever it is, added more service element, you're now renting that space out for maybe 40,000 pounds. Yeah. And you're still paying the 10,000 back to the SAS, absolutely fine. That's market rate. But yeah. because you've created those extra services, extra value, you've managed to generate another 30,000 pounds. Yeah. And you probably could do that all within the SAS if you want, but but effectively it's allowing you to have the, the choice about where the money goes because you're doing all the right things about putting back your 10,000 pounds in terms of the rent, Yeah, but it's just allowing you to maybe generate income now, which for some people means that actually they may be in a corporate career where they have actually built up a good pot, maybe several hundred thousand pounds worth of money, and they're waiting until they get to 55 so they can actually start enjoying this, Yeah. putting up with a job that's killing them. And actually, there is a way that you could potentially, and this is not financial advice, of course, but there is a way that you could potentially incorporate commercial property and start a trading element yes. to free up that, um, yeah. to free up some income. Absolutely, I mean,
1: and it's not how I describe it in the commercial space, but in kind of resi parlance, it, it, that essentially is rent to rent. Yes, it, it's it's a poor description in in commercial because you're going to do more than that. You're not. It's not just a service accommodation you put on, on booking.com and Booking. end of that's in um, But if you add value to that, you have created a commercial break in that process, which is a hundred percent legitimate. And and you could be putting things on there. obviously on there on that asset, such as a. A telephone mast or a wind turbine or a hydro plant or you know anything else that creates additional value in your income is allowable because that you you've you've got a lease that allows you to do what you want to do with it and as long as the head lease has been paid back at the commercial commercial agreed rate and, and that's absolutely acceptable.
0: Yeah um, and,
1: and, and people do absolutely do that and yeah. should absolutely do that. It's
0: a really exciting element.
1: So let's, just one just, yeah, yeah. just extend that thinking Jane. but I've also seen people who by in default but who who by a primary intent of acquiring a, a commercial property let's say a hairdresser's premises because that's what it currently is have also discovered that when you bought it you've actually bought hairdresser's um they're just thinking about the bricks and mortar They yeah. haven't realized that it may not be actively trading but they've you know it's got five chairs and five mirrors and five hairdressers in it and a sink. So mm, cool I can actually I can lease that out as as you know five chairs or whatever that may be. Or own the business and start it myself, and there's all sorts of weak quirks in there. I've seen people do that with bed and breakfast premises and didn't realise you'd actually forgotten really bought a business in the process just because of you're up. have. And it's curious. I mean, there's some it's hard to kind of contrive to mean to do that. I say it's hard. To, you need to be making a plan to do that deliberately. You probably wouldn't just come across a business that you, someone had forgotten about. But people do retire. They do become ill. They yeah. die. They get sick of it, or you know, liquidate that will happen and yeah, so it's
0: yeah. good to do it. so, so there'll be somebody in our in the um cpi network's ears would be burning if they're listening to this because that's exactly what they've done the last couple of days but <laughs> bought oh. a property and ended up the hairdressers fantastic oh. and as you say there's a trading element there where you can rent out chairs rent out space maybe start improving. Bringing in some other therapies. It, it, yeah, it's the whole, all that stuff when it lights up, you're like, okay, this is slightly different than I thought pensions yeah. would be. Yeah, and um,
1: that's the thing. So, the, the pension in that case has facilitated that just because it allowed to buy a commercial property. It, it has bought it, it does own it, and it is getting an a, a, a investment return on it. That's totally cool. You benefit as a business owner who's taking the lease on it. And that's also cool and allowable. Yeah. And well, what's not to like?
0: Right. So, um, one other little quirk. I picked up the other day when you came and spoke to us at our networking event, the sponsoring company, employee mm-hmm. trading company, let's just quickly cover that. So yeah. if you're setting up a SaaS, what do you need?
1: Okay, um, and this is a really, really key point here because it's not going to at the start, but um, SaaS is not for everyone, period it is specifically designed for uk limited companies and their owners and that company must be active and it needs to be to be the primary sponsoring company of a SaaS, a trading company and i mean by that not an investment company distinction being an investment company would typically be something that owns buy to assets uh, because that is receiving a, a, an yep. investment return on its value. For a trading company, it would be the actual hairdressers or the shop or the services right something, whatever that may be, but that, that is a, an active trading business. So active and trading sounds similar, but they're not. And um, So active means it's actually doing something, and trading means it's, it's not an investment company. And ideally, that company should be established for 12 months or more. That's not an absolute criterion thing, but it helps. Because each SaaS application is assessed and approved by, or otherwise, HMRC directly. And if it doesn't tick these boxes, then it won't happen. At the moment, it can happen later. Uh, there's no point in sponsoring an application or a process if it's just not going to happen. It's not going to work.
0: Okay. Right. So I'm, I'm going to dive in that a little bit more, and then I guess we're, we're going to have to start wrapping up. So hmm. with the sponsoring company, and you're talking about a trading element, some listeners will have a residential limit, a company with a limited company with residential property in it and you'll need to talk to your accountant about this but you may think well i'm i'm flipping properties mm-hmm. so i'm buying the asset doing it up re- reselling it and then doing the next one and da, 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 da. And, and your accountant will advise you to whether well, that's trading and 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 i think I'm sticking my neck out here, but I think if that's all you're doing, in that company that is trading. Correct. But if you have some investment properties in there, and they are proportionally are of significant amount, your accountant will advise you as to actually whether you are a trading business in there. Yeah. But but effectively, you need to be um, sorry, Paul. Just to clarify, an employee right. of that business, peye, for at least three months, whatever whatever that time frame is, and the company itself is the sponsoring company, but it doesn't have to be the only company that you own that's contributing towards your SaaS.
1: Yeah, indeed. I'll come back to those two points. You made about yes, two the, different uh, things uh, there, yeah. But, but the, the company part, um, so a SaaS can be connected to multiple companies that you own or run. The primary company you connect connected to is called the sponsor, for obvious <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> naming purposes. That is the main company. It needs to be that active trading one you can add others so you could have and people do obviously have trading and investment companies the investment company can connect to the SaaS but not as a primary sponsor and the reason that they're different is that the, the the limits that an investment company can put into a SaaS is less than a trading company and it's just not looked upon as favorably by HMRC so it should never be a sponsor yeah some of the others will go through the, the, um, the hoops over the years, but he won't start a trading company. But you can have multiple companies associated with the same SaaS, which means that each has the ability to put money in and each has the ability to borrow money out. Great. Okay. And just coming back to that one point made about the P, and I can never say that, the P-A-Y-E bit, <laughs> um, the being employed by the company part and making a contribution from the company to yourselves as as, as, uh, as payment of income is only relevant if you're looking to transfer a personal pension or a workplace pension into the SAS. Yes,
0: yes, i with that, yeah.
1: Yeah, it's not actually a SAS thing. It's an external yeah. regulated process about the transfer. It's only for that transfer period. It's not for the, uh, ongoing.
0: Okay, right. I feel we need to wrap this up because sure. it, it's a bite-sized piece, Seen, you know i think it is um i hope everybody listening's uh, got a lot out of this uh, every time i, I find it such a fascinating topic every time i learn a bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more um thanks for your time paul it's been really interesting well, I, but just to finish off here i think we need to actually maybe we should have done this at the start where, where do you fit into this what do you actually do
1: yeah good question um so i my, my title my role that I've self-title is sas consultant which essentially means that I help business owners uh, to understand SAS, to be educated on SAS, to train them in the SAS, and to help them to understand the uses of it and the limitations and opportunities and the kind of this kind of conversation uh, one-to-one with people. And then to help them with application and to submit that application to the SAS administrator, who will then take that to HMRC and do all that kind of actual technical stuff behind the scenes. Then when the SAS is set up, which is probably a uh, three-month period, The administrator will be there at all times as your governance point. So they'll do all the reporting, all the compliance, all the heavy lifting, all the the, the cappy stuff really that that needs to be done behind the scenes. But I am there in that initial period still to guide you. If you want me to still guide you ongoing, then I'm happy to do that too. But that involves a bit of a fee. It's not primitive, but it it just ensures that I'm there for you. Endless. Indeed. (laughs) I'm thinking of changing that. I am joking. Uh, but, but yeah, so I'm, I'm there really to guide people on the practical uses of it. I'm not the writer, I'm not the regulator, so I can have much more frank discussions about what you're thinking and what you're planning and tell you yes or no, if it's even possible. But I'm, I'm kind of more your, um, more street-wise than yeah. savvy, than it's I'm so, not saying I'm not wise, but they don't want to know what you might be doing the the, the administrator wants them what you are going to do and will act upon the instructions yeah. that meets the
0: rules. so so on something as important as this you could go straight to an administrator blind yeah. and try and work out what you're doing or you could speak to somebody like paul to understand exactly about your circumstances what you're trying to do and what you're trying to achieve and get some right. guidance on that yeah fantastic right paul so um i think Probably if we finish off there just by saying to to those that are listening, if anyone wants to get a hold of Paul, um, his details will be in the show notes. He's also involved in our regular events with the Get in the Swim membership or for those that are on the Advanced Mastermind Programme you'll be able to um, speak to Paul, um, find out a little bit about that guidance and whether you want to take forward SaaS for for you. And equally, of course, if you want to look at doing CMO and commercial property, that's what we're here for. So... Hopefully that's um, got some juices going and made you have a little think about maybe some stuff that you've maybe not thought about for a little while. It's down the track, but believe me, <laughs> you won't believe how fast life is, right? So yeah, you, <laughs> you will need to start looking at it. So um, thank you so much, Paul. Look forward to um, working with you over the next few months at uh, the various things we're going to be doing together. Um, it's been great having you back on the show. Fantastic.
1: I'm happy to answer anyone's any questions at any time. However, madly think it is. I'd rather get into that and and, uh, and deal with it quickly as opposed to have a, a festering thing i'm not sure about so yeah. jerry much appreciated. We'll, we'll speak to you very soon super thanks paul thanks
0: for that cheers wow i hope i didn't lose you in there it's a complicated subject and everyone's scenario and angles are really quite different my aim with this interview was to cover some of the limitations of SaaS while still letting you know what an awesome tool it is for commercial property investors During the episode, I mentioned that Paul's company is now officially a sponsor of the podcast, which means if you have anything you'd like to ask him, just reach out directly to him or through our website, www.cpi-network.co.uk. Paul is also around in the CPI forums and our live networking events, so if you are a CPI Network member, you will have more chances to meet up with him and ask some of those questions that maybe I didn't cover today. If you want to know more about the benefits of being a CPI Network member, then take a look at our website. Details are in the show notes, of course. It's a monthly subscription that you can cancel at any time. So what have you got to lose? Is it time you got in the swim? there I hope you're enjoying the content delivered on the CPI podcast even though it's free to listen to it actually takes quite a bit of time and financial commitment to deliver each and every episode did you know that by leaving a positive written review you yes you will have a direct impact on the visibility of the podcast and that's really important because by reaching a wider audience it helps our team to continually improve the overall content that we deliver to you week after week For some of you, leaving a review will be second nature, but for others, it might be a first one. Open your podcast app, pick the CPI podcast and search for previous reviews. And on iTunes in particular, click to look at all of the reviews and then you'll see an option to leave a written review. Go on, it'll only take two minutes and it'll really make our day. And we
1: genuinely read every single one of them.